It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful humans. Nick and Mitch here, back for another episode of Conscious Conversations. And the agenda today is to dive into habits. Uh, habits are something that we all implement daily, whether we actually realize it or not, uh, and can either be an obstacle to health or a powerful facilitator of health. So today we wanted to unpack the topic. Uh, Mitch, thanks for taking the time uh, to have another chat. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. So thank you for making the suggestion for this topic episode, because Mike and I uh, did one on did an episode on habits, probably like it was a while ago, it was last year. But often these, you know, as our sort of understanding of these things change, I think it's, especially with important topics like habits, um, they're due for a revamp. So thank you for uh, bringing it up and sending over a good sort of framework for today. I'm pretty stoked. Um, you know, I really think that health is a byproduct of lifestyle and you're doing a lifestyle transformation um, sort of program right now, which sounds mm -hmm. like it's going well. And, you know, lifestyle is the accumulation of our individual behaviors. And many of those behaviors are habits we pick up in some form or another. Um, and so really health is all about habits. So <laughs> I think it makes, I think people have to understand why a topic is important in order for them to even be interested about it. But maybe let's start with defining it. So how would you define habit? I would say that a habit is any action that your brain learns and does so automatically that you don't have to think about it. So an easy right. example would be none of us have to relearn each morning how to tie our shoe um, or even how to like stand in balance on both of our feet. And so those are just habits that we've learned over time. And it's kind of like a set and forget. So if we mm -hmm. set something and we forget it, but we're still able to kind of like do it uh, with like autonomy where we're not thinking about it, that's what I would kind of look at for, uh, for a habit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great definition. I think I look at habit as anything that we do repeatedly um, and, and so regularly that it's often unconscious, which is actually adaptive, right? Like mm -hmm. a habit happening, a behavior happening without you thinking means that your brain has gone through it enough times that it can sort of put it on the subconscious autopilot level and free up mental processing for other things. So um, the thing with habits is they're sneaky, right? Because if, if it's a behavioral program that runs automatically, it's really easy to not realize when certain habits turn from being something that was initially adaptive to being something that brings you away from what you're trying to accomplish. And so, um, yeah, they're, they're powerful, but they can either be uh, negative or positive and either way they can be sneaky. So I think it's, they're important yeah. to dig into. Oh, yeah. um, and let's talk about their value. Cause like I said, habits are important, right? Like why um, in terms of, in terms of their adaptive, nature you know like i said habits are there to free up mental processing for other things so we can pay attention and you know maybe back in the day avoid predators without having to think of how am i going to walk without falling over um mm -hmm. but in the modern day i think like we live in an overwhelming time where we're constantly getting information we're constantly making decisions whether we realize it or not right when you choose um to to make coffee in the morning you made a decision to make coffee um, mm -hmm. For some people, that might be a habit that's on autopilot, sure. but there's, there's so many decisions that turning things into automated programs is a really good thing, uh, as long as those programs serve you well. What's, what's your take on sort of habits and, and why, why they're a thing? Yeah, I definitely agree that it's kind of like we wouldn't, I don't think we would have evolved this far if we had to relearn and redo things over and over again and, and repeatedly. 
Right. And I definitely like the idea that it, it really does free up our like cognitive ability to focus on other things without being overwhelmed. If we had to relearn everything each morning, we would be so overwhelmed by like the end of the morning that we'd have no energy to do anything else. Right. So I think that habits are right. Yeah. I think that habits are, are necessary in that way because it allows us to do so many other things and to, and to essentially like continue like an evolution of constant learning, prediction, making assessment, right. Cause that's what our brains and bodies are constantly doing. Mm -hmm. So I think the better that we continue to get at kind of like the pattern assessment observation, and then try and like set and forget to where, okay, now my habits like good to go. Then it just continues and continues from there to where we're able to then right. Turn more and more things into to habits, but ultimately kind of like that process is super important. So we can continue on throughout our day to do like whatever it is that we might be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Great explanation. And I think one thing that deserves sort of, uh, you know, a brief chat before we go to the next kind of element is this whole notion of good and bad habits. I really, mm -hmm. I've started to really dislike that nomenclature, like the terminology of good and bad, because at the end of the day, like who decides what's good or bad? A lot, I think a lot yeah. of people are looking for external validation that their habit is good or their habit is bad. Um, but I think that that's such a subjective term and, and really doesn't, I just don't like good, the term good and bad habits. I think one thing I've gravitated towards is um, I think the alignment of your habits is a better way to categorize them, right? Does this mm -hmm. habit align with what matters to me and the type of person I want to be? Or, you know, does this habit align with my goals or my intention? Um, or, or does this habit not align with the kind of person I want to be in that, in which case, um, I need to figure out how to troubleshoot and shift that habit or get rid of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So I think when someone thinks of habits as like good or bad, it's, it's kind of like more towards that surface level of the way that they relate the habit to themselves or their sense of like I or me. And I don't think that that necessarily, I think that that's important, but I don't think that that necessarily addresses kind of like the root layer of how habits form. Yeah. And right. Cause your brain and your body aren't going, is this habit going to, to make me healthier or not? Right. It's going to be, did, what was the reward from this action? Was the reward uh, beneficial or not beneficial? And the, the more times it's beneficial, the more likely you are to develop that into a habit. So when we view it, it, when we view it from that angle, I think it becomes significantly easier to one, understand what your habits actually are. Cause I do think that there are certain habits, right? Cause again, set and forget they're so hidden that we don't really realize that they're a habit mm -hmm. or the social cues that come along with them. And second to that would be if we, again, look at it from like, it's, it's a behavior-based thing of this behavior was most rewarding. I think that we then gain the best control to update our habits kind of like in the long term. So instead of it being viewed as a, this is a good habit, I need to do it more. This is a bad habit. I need to do it more. I would rather someone look at it as what behavior caused this habit to develop and then I can change the behavior rather than the habit itself, right? Because I mean, habits are trigger, trigger behavior reward, but ultimately it takes the reward in the first place to develop the trigger behavior reward. And the kind of like, again, we're prediction making machines. So the more I can be aware of like what my prediction was that I laid down, well, maybe my initial observation of the reward was wrong or needs to be updated 
Mm-hmm. And so once I do that, then I can kind of change the foundation of my habit rather than identifying it with my sense of eye of like, oh, this is something that I want to continue as a habit or I don't want to continue as a habit. Um, I think that makes it like a little bit harder to adjust it because then we kind of seem to be victims in a sense rather than in control, which I think we're we're more in the control lane if we can just be aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, because the good or bad oftentimes focuses on the routine or the actual behavior. And mm-hmm. it's that's why it's so simplistic. Right. It's like it, it's based on your judgment. Um, but it's also simply judging the behavior itself, but not actually diving deeper into the, into the trigger, which is, or the reward. Um, because like, you know, what might seem like a good habit to someone, um, or a bad habit to someone might be good to someone else, right? Like, okay, crushing, uh, like a pack of donuts. Uh, I think yeah. most people would say that's not a good habit. Well, what if it's something you do once a week, uh, as you know, your, your aspiration to eat healthy is that you eat healthy all week and you crush donuts once a week. Well, for that person, that's probably not a bad habit, right? That can yeah. be, it, it's not bringing them away from their aspiration of eating healthy. If you look at like 80, 20 rule or something like that. So I think it all has to be within the context of your aspirations and what actually matters. Um, and then when you look at it like that and also take into account trigger and reward and figure out, okay, well, which part of this loop do I need to better understand in order to mm-hmm. modify it? Um, it creates sort of a deeper conversation. So, I mean, and, you know, there's no such thing as a good or bad habit, only only habits that align with your aspirations and habits mm-hmm. that do not align. And I think that's a better way of judging them, but also to dive deeper. So, you know, maybe a good place to go next is to talk about how habits form and maybe um, you know, I'd love for you to explain sort of your understanding of the habit loop and, you know, what that is for someone who hasn't heard of it, but also just talk conceptually, like how do habits form? We know that they form to free up cognitive space for other things. Um, but what is the actual, you know, architecture of how habits form? Uh, because I think the habit loop is a really powerful framework to understand. Yeah. I think to the best of my understanding, when we talk about things like, uh, how they form and the habit loop which is kind of like what we've been saying, where it goes trigger, behavior, reward, it all kind of becomes context dependent. So if we're thinking back to, as we're evolving as humans, when we can learn something and do it consistently and we recognize pattern and then we adopt it and it ends up being a reward for us, then we're more likely to do that thing. So if I develop the habit of, not going into a, ditch, a dangerous situation, well, then it's more likely that I'll be able to survive and pass on my genes. Or if I develop the habit of being able to um, like track better and I learn those things and I develop a better habit in that sense of being able to, let's say, like track an animal, well, then I'm more likely to be able to catch that animal and survive. And then passing it on towards more modern times, it would be, you know, hey, I, I like Judson Brewer's example where he talks about you go to a birthday party, Um, you eat a piece of cake, you feel really good. The social setting, you feel really good. Well, you've developed the habit of trigger. Maybe I see a piece of cake or I am in a social setting. Behavior is to engage with the social setting or maybe eat the piece of cake. And the reward is I feel really good, right? Because I was with Mm. people that I cared about. I was in a social setting that was safe. I ate food that was like stimulating and tasted really well. And so our habits are always going to be, there's a trigger, you do a behavior, you get a reward. And then you repeat that over and over. And again, it's kind of like that recognizing patterns, observing what happens. And the more rewarding something is, the more likely you're able to do it. 
And the more you go through that loop of trigger behavior, reward, repeat, 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 it eventually becomes the set and forget where, okay, now I just do it and I don't even think about it. Right. Um, and the way that that would kind of transfer to the, hey, what does the forget piece go? If someone's like, well, I don't really understand. Like, what do you mean? I just forget it. It would be, well, okay, well now you're right. Cause our brains are so um, smart and do so many things that we might not even realize. It would be, well, now I maybe don't feel super good and I feel kind of like sad. And all of a sudden my brain, without me recognizing it goes, you should eat sweets. Cause remember that time you ate the sweets in yeah. that social setting, you felt really good. Yep. And obviously this is an example of like someone emotionally eating. Um, Dude, I can right, like this. I crush cookies sometimes. Right? And I'm like, why, what, what? And then I look back, I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> right. It's like, I feel really good, but damn, okay. I happened. Cause that was that stressful thing that I had today. Right. But, um, right. You're not remembering all the previous times you ate cake. You're not remembering all the previous social settings you had when you ate that cake and all the different like positive, uh, stimulus that was coming throughout. So right. you've, you've said it and you forget it. And that's just how habits develop, but they happen in so many different ways where it's not just a food thing, but it's, it's kind of like you have food, you have social settings, the people you interact with, like what your morning routine is like your evening routine. Um, you know, e even if it's, and it's, again, it's always the reward that, that you perceive, whether it's in your conscious thought or not, it's like that reward is what dictates you continuously doing or not. If someone mm -hmm. thinks that staying up late, answering emails and just like having no period of like work begins, work stops as beneficial because they're going to be more successful in their work life. Well, then their brain is probably not going to say, Hey, sleep and a consistent like circadian rhythm routine is going to be more of a reward. So they're right. right. And that would be an example of like, Hey, this is probably not aligning to create the best optimal well-being for yourself, but nonetheless, it's a habit that a person's developed. Same way when we look at like our phones continuously, um, or we check like our email or Instagram or Facebook, like it's all a habit that we've developed. Um, and I think that kind of like the last thing that comes into there is kind of like the reward would be kind of like the different pieces of like, Hey, we get a hit of like dopamine. We feel really good. Um, this is the reward we perceive. So now I'm going to do it over and over and over again. And I'm sure we'll get into that kind of like with technology use, um, and how that kind of like manipul manipulates us into different habits. But, um, kind of like that base layer is it's trigger behavior reward, what I do repeatedly ba is based on the reward I receive. And once I'm able to set it so many times, I can forget it and then and then uh, apply it in other situations that I might not even be aware of. And I think that's where kind of habits can get a little bit more beneficial or more detrimental, depending on what our goal is. Yeah, because habits are, they can be a superpower, right? If you, can, if you know yeah. how to design and implement and essentially uh, intentionally program habits, then you can pick habits that align with your intentions and then put them on autopilot. So you're doing like, if, you're, if your aspiration is to improve your health, um, you can upload habits that put health behaviors on autopilot. So you're not even thinking of it, you're just doing it. And I think the environment has a huge role to play in that, which is, you know, this whole concept of blue zones where people are trying mm -hmm. to be healthy. They are not, um, they're just living. And the surroundings that they're within is what facilitates, you know, I think James Clear says, the environment is the invisible hand that shapes behaviors. So. Mm -hmm. Now the issue is, well, we've, we, we may have unintentionally engineered our environments to facilitate habits that aren't in our, like aren't aligned with their aspirations. And the, the example that you give about the person staying up late to respond to emails, um, I think brings about this, this important point where you have to know what matters, right? You have to know, you have to be really clear on your aspirations. Cause mm -hmm. I was, I for sure have gone through phases where my 
uh, the reward of getting things done took priority over the, over the re reward of feeling good and uh, feeling like I was in control of my health and doing the right thing to improve my health. And until you switch those two variables, where now my health is a bigger priority than getting things done, because guess what? I can still get things done. And if I'm healthy, I'm going to get way more done. Um, mm -hmm. So it's almost like a reevaluation of the deeper um, sort of sequencing of which reward is more important. And am I sacrificing something that matters for something that I don't deem to be as important just because that's the way I've always done it. And so I think this, yeah. you know, this self-awareness is almost at the root of being able to identify, well, in order to figure out what habits aren't serving me well, what habits am I doing that I don't even know I'm doing, you need a certain amount of space for self-awareness and self-reflection. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about this in a previous podcast where it's like, we live in an environment that you can, you never actually, it's really hard to engage with that time of self-reflection because there's so many things out there that distract us and have this power imbalance where they're really good at knowing how to hack our, our, our brains to know how to mm -hmm. distract us really effectively because it's incentivized. So I think, um, yeah, I think the whole notion of a habit loop, if you understand that framework, then you can at least identify, okay, well now I have a starting point, right? Like awareness is the fundamental kickoff point for changing habits, whether that's implementing good, you know, uh, mm -hmm aligned habits or getting rid of misaligned habits. Um, and, you know, why are habits so hard to change? And we kind of touched on that. And I, I really like the analogy, you know, I live in Canada, it snowed actually this morning. And I like yeah. the analogy of a toboggan going down a hill. Uh, in Florida, you could do a toboggan going down a sand dune. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the more times you go down one groove, the harder it is to bump yourself out of that groove and the easier it is mm -hmm. to go in that straight line. And I think habits are one of those things where the more we've repeated it and reinforced that the reward is a valid reward to then pour over to the queue next time, the harder it is to get out of that groove. And sometimes it takes like a really strong reevaluation of like, well, why am I even tobogganing down this hill? And is this groove, this groove seems to be doing me a disservice now, you know, how do we dig in and why is it so hard to get out of that groove? So I think it becomes really difficult specifically in our modern lifestyles and modern environments because of things like uh, intermittent reinforcement where we have, you know, a uh, slot machine in our pocket, right? That's our phone. And it's constantly like, you never know what you're going to get. And I think that that becomes such a important and because, right, we use phones a lot um, as tools, but then also there's those things on there that manipulate us. So that intermittent reinforcement of, well, I got a buzz. Maybe it's a text message. Maybe it's a Facebook notification. Did someone tag me in something? I posted this thing on Instagram. How many likes did I get? Do I have all my notifications on? Uh, and I think that because that has such a strong uh, like dopamine release, because it's an intermittent reinforcement, it ends up drawing a person in to where you know they'll start to just check their phone repeatedly and it becomes a habit regardless of what they're doing, what environment they're in, or what's happening. Um, even to the point where, you know, you can get like a phantom vibration where like, you think your phone vibrated and you got to <laughs> like, you got to check it even though it didn't vibrate. Right. So it's like, you're trying to right again. I, I kind of like keep repeating it, but it's that idea of we're trying to continually observe, look for patterns, process, and then predict. And so you're like, you're predicting, like you're trying to predict a reward, but you have no idea when you're going to get it. So that's the first part I think that really can make habits really, really difficult to change it's because a lot of what we do has intermittent reinforcement built into it. And kind of, again, like that mm -hmm. idea of that the race to our brainstem. And that's why I think in part, 
that uh, can be really difficult. The second thing would be that we have immediate availability for pretty much anything we want, right? Like I can go on Amazon, I can click buy right now and it'll be at my house in two days. So I have no time to think about it. So that immediate availability (laughs) takes away the time to let the wave of excitement kind of like walk over, but then also dissipate and give me time Mm -hmm. to be present and actually think like, do I actually need this thing? Do I actually want this thing? Is, Is there something else that I should be getting? Is it even necessary? So the fact that everything is, and I would say, especially in like Western culture is so like, go, 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 where we automatically just kind of have like less of an idea of like everything needs to be done really quickly, which reinforces that short time uh, duration that we have to make a decision. And then pairing that with the immediate availability of, of almost anything that we want, even if it's food, like, Hey, I have a, a, uh, app on my phone where I can order food. Well, if I'm hungry, I don't even have to go anywhere. I can just order it right <laughs> away. So crazy. Right. And then I just get to, Oh, all right. Hey, 10 minutes away, five minutes away, you know, right. and it's whatever. And if it's delayed, I can text or message the driver or call the driver. So, um, I think that those two things paired with a little bit of almost like a, I guess I would say like a cultural uh, habit in the sense of like the way that we think and perceive things of like, do things quickly, do them immediately, get it as quickly as you can, or you'll be falling behind. I think those really, really make habits so difficult to change. And I guess if I were to throw in a third, it would be sometimes people don't have the opportunity to control, uh, their environment, right. We're, we're maybe in a position of circumstance there where like, Hey, if I'm in an environment that promotes really, really bad food and, I live in an area where I'm just constantly getting advertisements that are going to promote an unhealthy lifestyle and the people Mm -hmm. that I'm around don't have a healthy lifestyle either. Well, then it's again, going to be really difficult to break that environment um, unless I have those tools of awareness and unless I have like the capacity to take action with those tools. Yeah. And I think the, this whole notion of hyper, I've had this conversation with Mike in the past, this whole notion of hyper normal stimuli where we know what humans like, right? We like Mm -hmm. sex. We like food. uh, We like um, graphic things that capture our attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this whole thing of like normal stimuli is no longer the, the norm, right? Like we look at modern foods, modern, modern junk food. It is a hyper normal exaggeration of what humans are designed to crave. Uh, if we look at porn, it is a hypernormal form of sex. It's not normal, right? Um, and it's out of your fingertips at all times. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a bit of a power imbalance where the companies that are providing these things are researching these things because they're incentivized by money to make things more appealing and they have to compete with other things that are competing for our attention. Um, we've gotten to this space where like we are at a disadvantage as a as a human with the, you know, prehistoric software that we have installed we're not ready to handle this like we're not we're not prepared and so it's very difficult um for people to fight against that and i think it's through understanding and awareness of that fact that these are like crazy things that we're not used to being able to handle and that if you are pulled towards them it is not your fault right like it is not because you're a shitty human that you're constantly eating food it's just because you know you have to understand you, it's like we don't teach self-defense, uh, mental self-defense anymore, right? We don't teach mm-hmm. self-defense. It's like, okay, if someone's going to attack you on the street physically, you should probably know how to defend yourself. Well, guess what? Social media companies are attacking your attention. Let's teach you how to defend yourself. Porn companies are attacking your desire for sexual interaction. And mm-hmm. all of these things are bringing you away from being more human and interacting with other people, bringing you towards these 
um, platforms or being able to consume these things on your own, right? You don't have to leave your house and interact with a human being to get your food. And so I, I feel sometimes that there's this vicious loop of like, well, I don't have to leave my home. I don't have to talk to other people. Um, and so I become lonely. And if I don't realize that me being lonely is why I'm gravitating towards these hypernormal stimuli to try and feel better, then the loneliness is this underlying thing that if we never acknowledge it, well, you know, I think why habits are so hard to change because we rely so much on willpower and don't dive deep enough to find out like, what is the true yep. uh, source of this habit, right? Like, am I lonely? Am I feeling sad? Am I, are my basic needs not being met? Like if you don't move mm -hmm. all day, your basic need of movement is not met and you're going to try and find something to make you feel better. But yeah. I think we need to go the layer deeper and focus on like, okay, the, what's the trigger? Because the trigger you think it is, um, the trigger that you think it might be might not be the actual trigger. Yeah. And it might be uncomfortable to admit that the trigger that is actually there um, might not be something you're aware of, or might be something that it's like, yeah, I don't think I'm lonely, but it's like, okay, what's loneliness, right? Like people don't mm -hmm. even have a, a vocab for understanding those things. I certainly didn't for a long time. And then it's like, oh, that makes more sense. All of these things yep. are designed to make us more separate from self and other. And so obviously we're going to be suffering and want something to cover up the suffering. Um, so I think we just need to, we have to dive deep enough and give people a template to understand how habits are created so that they know to dive into the trigger and to really spend some time like thinking of, is that actually the trigger? Am I self-aware enough to know, um, to even detect patterns like, oh, when this happens, I do this. I'm trying to not do this with my willpower, but I have to focus on, I have to stop this from happening or reframe that happening to, to give me a different kind of feeling so that I'm not seeking that reward. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point to, to look at. And I think it's important to especially highlight, we both kind of keep talking about awareness and that's what you need in order to actually understand like what your trigger might actually be. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it might not be what you think it is. The reward might not be what you think it is. And if you're not paying attention to it and you're just in a zombie like autopilot state the whole day, you're going to have no chance at, at changing anything. Right. You're at a disadvantage. So you need to, yeah. and this is where the value of like, okay, people who have embarked on finding purpose, this is what it is. Like the whole funder program is about. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. there's all these forces external to us that are creating resistance to health. Uh, let's find like just some people that find a big purpose in overcoming that resistance, share what we learn and then share it with other people. So we can say like, yeah, it's a battlefield out there, but here's some tricks that I learned to be able to navigate it and get to the other side where I understand mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfectly healthy, but I've, I understand the obstacles. They're obvious to me. Therefore, I can create strategies to defend against them. And that's really, you know, if the mission of TFC is to re give people back responsibility for their health, well, that starts with them having a basic awareness of the things that are causing them to get away from health. Because mm -hmm. you shouldn't actually have, to, it's not actually work to achieve health. It's work to identify the things that bring you away from it and then filter those things out. So it's like by subtraction but it's hard to know what to subtract when the world is like, Oh shit, this is a crazy world right now. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, sometimes it helps for people to just articulate things for you or take an observer's perspective or help you understand how to take an observer's perspective just by sharing mm -hmm. how they managed to do that. And I think that's, that's very different than people telling you what to do. It's just like, this is what I did. This is why I found yeah. it worked. I struggled too. And maybe this can help give it a go. Yeah. And I think that that even changes uh, like fundamentally how someone would go at, a problem solving piece or being aware of <clears throat> how they want to like handle like their potential interaction with changing their habits. Because 
again, bringing awareness to what you just said, as far as like how someone's trying to solve their problem, how the, how the, um, foot nerd program kind of cultivates a different environment, right. For people to be able to save those problems. Well, again, that's changing the, the way that they initially might prefer or be used to, uh, changing their like health state, right. If someone has the habit of, well, hey, I want to change something. I'm going to go to Google and, and the first five things are what I click on. And then I am just going to do one of those things. Well, you're not engaging likely in, in potentially some beneficial group or some setting or some conversation that might actually give you the awareness and tools and power to change your health down the road. And mm-hmm. I think that this kind of brings up the idea of we don't have habits just in the way that we act. We also have habits in the way we think. And yes especially like the cultures that we're in, right? Like in a Western culture, it might be like, Hey, get to the grind, get after it. Um, you have to just be constantly working. If you're not, you're falling behind. And then kind of like what, again, what do we think that people reward or prioritize? And if that's like, Hey, I need to be the richest person I can possibly be. Cause that's rewarded in what I consider to be, per- to be personally rewarding, what others consider to be personally rewarding. Well, then you have that really strong driver of like fitting into a social group as well. And again, you kind of get it like a disadvantage, but mm-hmm. when you have that awareness, then you can actually, and write the benefit of a group in an environment. And in this case, it would be like a group like the foot nerd program. Well, then you have the opportunity to actually make a difference and make a change because we're trying to then change the way that you think, the way that you have conversations and the way that you problem solve. So instead of it just being, I don't know what it is. I want to know the answer right away. So the habit of I Google search it or whatever it might be, or I look on my phone, well, we can learn that maybe that's not the most beneficial. And instead it should be, okay, well, I lead with curiosity. I try and understand what the problem is. I consult with people that might be knowledgeable on the topic, or I try and find a group where I can converse with those people that are knowledgeable on the topic. Um, And then it's like a constant learning process. And I even think Mm -hmm. that this relates to the habitual state of how people think that health is a state to be achieved. And it's very like objective. Like once I'm at this weight with this body fat percent working out this many times a day, right? Like if I'm eating chicken, rice, and broccoli every day, like, right. Oh my God. Tasteless. Um, <laughs> I'm at the epitome of my health, but it's like, well, no, I think instead we can think of health as almost like a control function where it's a straight line. You have the waves going along it and every decision you make can either bring you closer towards optimal health or further away towards optimal health. And the habits that we have play a really important role in that. Um, And although we might not achieve perfect health, it's a journey, right? So thinking of it, if, if our thoughts are habitually related to, it's a journey of constant progress of making improvement of being open-minded with a healthy dose of skepticism and implementing and trying new and different things um, and kind of like using the experiment of our own life to try different things and how they work out and kind of like constantly check in with our bodies and reassess. That I think is a more beneficial habit than maybe like a victim-based mindset of, oh, well, once this happens to me, that's just the way that it is. And that's mm-hmm. how things are. And if I want to change anything, I'm kind of powerless or I, or I have to like hope for someone to help me, right? We talked about, um, like, that's why the foot nerd program is so important because we're empowering people to change their health. So like, hey, is it important to like see a doctor and get checked out? Yeah, but it's also like, well, that also promotes the idea of, okay, well, it's just natural for me when I get older to have to be on blood pressure medication and heart medication and high cholesterol meds. And 
Um, and like, I was even having a conversation with my parents this week about it. Right. Cause again, um, harder to change habits maybe as you get older, but they're very much like, Oh yeah, this is just, that's normal as you get older. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not normal. Right. It's, it's habitual to think that it's normal, but it's definitely not, it might, it might be familial in the sense of like, these things happen because, you know, the families previously all did the same thing. Um, and I do think habits can kind of almost be passed down in that way, but that's ultimately changing how we think and how we problem solve is a habit that's also worth addressing besides the other habits of my morning routine, what I eat, my nighttime routine and different things like that. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, your point of, I think there's a sense of apathy and overwhelm that comes from, okay, say someone has a, a habit that's not serving them well. They take mm-hmm. the individual where they're like, okay, I got to figure this out. And they do the Google search or they talk to like one person and that person says, well, try this. And then that person fails at achieving that goal. And I think it's very easy to identify that as a personal uh, failure, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I am the problem. I'm not, a, I just can't do this. It's too freaking hard. Whereas yeah. no one really takes perspective that it's a strategy problem. It's a strategy fault. It's not them. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. It's the way they went about trying to solve that problem. Maybe not even having fundamental enough awareness to even understand the problem fully. If you don't understand a problem, mm-hmm. you are not going to solve that problem. And yeah. I love the saying where a problem half understood is or a problem fully understood is half solved. And I think that, you know, it's uncomfortable to challenge basic assumptions that you've been living your life according to, right? Oh, like yeah. I have this conversation with my parents all the time and, and you see these assumptions that they've essentially hit control save on and have made part of their identity where they're, it's too uncomfortable to admit that that assumption is not true. Because then they think that their life has been this like lie. It's like, well, and I heard this, um, I listened to a podcast yesterday on, on Joe Rogan with the CEO of Whole Foods. And I think he made a genius analogy when it came to assumptions and ideas and concepts. He's like, concepts and ideas are kind of like clothes. Um, you wear the best ones you can find. Sometimes you need to replace clothes. And if you're growing, you need to change clothing, right? Like if you are growing, the faster you're growing, the more frequently you're gonna to have to change your clothing. And if growth, if personal growth and clothing is, if, if growth is personal growth and grow and getting new clothes is getting, updating your thoughts and concepts and ideas, then you have to be unmarried to the clothing you're wearing. I don't care, this isn't, this shirt isn't me. This is just what I'm wearing right now because it's what I could find this morning. And I think if we thought of our, ideas or assumptions like that and disconnected personally from them we would be way more flexible to even like learning what might even be in front of us but that we're unwilling to kind of hear or listen to or admit um and so yeah i I think that there needs to be a willingness to admit that there is a better potential way of doing things and Mm -hmm. i think anyone out there who's tried to get rid of a quote-unquote bad habit and has failed it's not your fault It's just, you didn't take the right strategy. You didn't ask the right people. You didn't take, you know, do the right research to, to find out, to fully understand it. And I think once, once you re-empower people with the understanding that it is not a character flaw, it is a design Mm -hmm. problem or strategy problem, then they become, then the reward. Okay. The trigger is a habit that they know isn't serving them. The behavior no longer becomes, well, I'm just going to do something to make me feel good because I feel like shit that I can't change this. Um, you know, the, the actual reward becomes, well, I, I can try something different or I succeeded at changing that habit. So then that is almost like a self-serving trigger to figure out like, well, what other habits do I have that aren't yeah. serving my aspirations? And so it's like hitting the domino in the right direction. And 
I've heard stories from people that email us that are like, yeah, I did this and all of these other good things kind of stem from that, right? Because I realized that, um, you know, like spending a bit of time, it's obviously it's a lot of it's related to going barefoot, but yeah. like, yeah, I spent some time barefoot um, and I was kind of hesitant at the start. And now I realized, wow, if I was damaging my own feet for decades, what else am I doing that I don't know I'm doing? And that, oh, yeah. have a, that has a simple solution. And so it's cool, the cascade effect that you hear about. Yeah. And I think the feet's a perfect example of habits kind of being passed down as like a common thing in the family where it's, where it's familial, specifically bunions are genetic, right? Like that idea <laughs> that bunions are genetic yeah. and there's no way to get rid of them. And I'm like, well, are you sure it's not just that you guys all wear the same type of shoes? People right? are so or certain, like, eh? The certainty yeah. is astounding. I'm like, I don't even think I know. I'm not even that certain that I know the truth, but I know that my version yeah. makes more sense than yours right now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's like, well, explore. Like if you don't wear tight shoes all the time and you wear some toe spacers, your foot's going to look different over time. And right. um, I think I think what can make such a big difference too is, right, we can say all these things, but ultimately anyone that's listening, it's like you have to take action and actually trying it because it will only be important to you if you have a felt experience of positive change and you won't right. know unless you actually try. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's kind of like, well, Hey, what, what should I try when you're going to change something up? It's just a constant back and forth of exploiting what works and then exploring different things to see what else can work. Yeah. And if you can just manage exploiting the things that work really well, and then exploring things that might work well, well, then you're going to end up being successful at some point because especially when like within the foot nerd program, right? Everyone's working to live a more natural and not normal lifestyle. Well, you're going to start to get more and more connected with your body, which mm -hmm. I think that especially again, in like Western cultures, there's a really big disconnect. It's kind of like, Hey, the brain's the important thing. The body's just kind of like this, like meat with bones that like with skin that walks around. Um, and it's like, no, like your body is like so unbelievably smart. And if you connect mm -hmm. with it, you'll probably understand a lot of different things. And I think an, an e even, an e even an easy example of that would be asking someone, hey, when you eat this food, how do you feel like 30 minutes afterwards? Like not cognitively, like how do you feel in your body afterwards? And they'd probably be like, right. I, have, I have no idea. And it's like, well, right. if you know, you can, that, again, awareness, first step to be able to make that change yep. in your habit. So maybe let's talk about some pragmatic stuff of like, okay, mm -hmm. uh, we know habits are hard to change. If we have an awareness of why those habits are hard to change and even dig down into like, what is the actual trick? What is the true trigger that's mm -hmm. leading me to this behavior? Um, you know, how do we start to change habits? And I think that the community element, uh, which I think is the more I'm kind of realizing sort of what the footner program is like the footner program is just like getting a bunch of ants together and then magic happens somehow it's like yeah. okay how do i figure out how the magic happened because then we can kind of try and facilitate more of it um yeah you know the community element of being able to speak with other people and you know for example like the new october class created this uh the project which is 30 days uh straight of meditation at least five minutes a day that's a hard ass mm -hmm. project and i think that is a true like that's such a simple thing, but embodying the behavior that you're learning is healthy or is it aligns with health um, is the bigger struggle than just un understanding meditation is good for you. It's not that hard. Actually mm -hmm. showing up and meditating for 30 days straight for five minutes is freaking hard. And in that Slack group that people created, people are saying like, yeah, I made it five days and then I fell off the boat. And then other people are like, yeah, me too. Let's restart together and check in with each other. That is mm -hmm. so potent because 
the strategy, like you said, if you think of it conceptually as playing with habits, right? Like instead of like taking like a drill sergeant approach, be like, I got to get rid of this habit. I'm going to do this. It's going to work. It's like, well, it might not. And if you're sure it's going to work and then it doesn't, you might get discouraged. So play with it. Know that you're probably not going to nail the bullseye on the first attempt. But the more you practice, the better you get at hitting that bullseye. And when you have multiple people, you get, you get this exponential um, data throughput where people are trying experiments, right? You try three experiments, someone else tries three, someone else tries three. Mm -hmm. You now have nine results to then take in and be like, well, out of nine, that's clearly like, you know, Jim is, is doing really well. I'm going to try his experiment because clearly that worked mm -hmm. for him. There's this really big element of community where people support you, people contribute input, people problem mm -hmm. solve together. And so even if it's just finding one other person that you can socially connect with and actually hold each other accountable, but more importantly, like problem solve collaboratively, like try different things together, try different things independently, share your data. It's all about just giving people, uh, you know, an expanded perspective, right? Like you saying something that might trigger someone is, I, I think this whole thing of getting really upset when someone says something that kind of like stings a little bit, it's really mm -hmm. easy to shy away from that. But sometimes it's like, hmm, there's something there because I react yeah. in a way that is signaling to me um, that I maybe need to lean into that and understand why did that upset me, right? So it's like, why did that trigger me? And the whole word, I used to hate the word trigger, but now I kind of like it because it feeds into mm -hmm. this habit loop of even like how you mentioned, thinking can be a habit loop, right? The way you think, if you have a negative view of the world, um, that can end up facilitating a habit loop where it's like, okay, I think negatively, therefore I act in this way. And that reinforces the fact that that was, uh, that the world is bad. And then the more you do that, the easier it is to take that lens. Um, but when you get triggered by something, instead of the behavior of lashing out to feel good, to try and pretend like you're like reinforced that your way is right and their way is wrong. And then it gives you the reward of being like, haha, I know, I know better than them or I showed them. If you just take that as, okay, the trigger is something that gets me upset. I sit with it. I find out why it gets me upset. And by figuring it out and spending time solving it and being like, oh, that's why that is the reward because mm -hmm. you're achieving something. And I think it's like the reinterpretation of triggers, whether in a habit loop or even just in an interaction with someone on social media or in person, like that it's, it's all awareness. Like it really, every time I try and think of these yep. things, like it all comes down to self-awareness and awareness of the true problem. And it requires some work, right? And it, it requires a willingness to investigate playfully. I think that's the missing element for a lot of people. Um, and you know, when you couple that with the, just the world of distractions that we are ill-prepared to defend ourselves against, it's easy to see how we got here. But when you kind of like troubleshoot, like how did I get out of that trap? Um, oftentimes those are very simple things that are easily shared for people who are willing to change. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. I just kind of huh. went off, but anyway, hopefully that was useful. <laughs> yeah, no, that was good. I liked it. Um, kind of going with that whole pragmatic approach and like we're focusing on awareness that's helping us with our habit change i think that what would be important to first address is kind of how what are the most common ways people usually address habit change why that doesn't work and then why awareness and in this case mindfulness right is kind of the benefit for habit change so most people usually use willpower they use habit swapping or they use uh controlling their environment and the problem with each of those is that or I should say the problem with willpower is that it relies on the prefrontal cortex where we're able to be like logical reasoning. Um, and this is all kind of based on the idea of 
right? Our brain is not just like thinking, right? Like our brain does so many other things that we are just not aware of at all. So that's like the first important thing to like recognize, like your body does so many amazing things that you're not even aware of, of happening. So in the case of willpower, right? When someone is stressed, which can happen really easily throughout the day, mm-hmm. your um, limbic brain, your emotional brain can hijack your logical reasoning brain. And when that happens, when your old brain hijacks the new brain, you're not going to be able to use willpower. The right. example I like to use to describe it is imagine you have a craving. You try and use willpower to resist it. But again, emotional uh, and old brain overpower it. You completely smash all the cookies and donuts. And then after you've satisfied your old brain, your logical brain comes back online to just throw as much guilt and shame as yeah. you. At it's you like, as what possible. happened? What did you do? Right? <laughs> it's like, why, why did I succumb to that and eat that? Like, damn. And it's like, well, that's not your like fault necessarily, right? right? Your old brain overpowered your new brain and it won because right. you weren't present and it, and it let you take over it. So that's why willpower isn't as successful. Yeah, and it, it, makes, it makes perfect sense, right? Like willpower yeah. is use of the part of your brain that gets deactivated when you need it most to use willpower. So it's like yep. most of the time that doesn't work. No surprise. Oh, yeah. And then when we have it swap, well, kind of the um, stressor can still fall into place. But essentially what we're doing is we're having the same trigger and we're having the same reward, but we're changing the behavior. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't solve the root cause of the problem which is addressing what we think the reward is and what the trigger actually is. Right. And so again, it kind of like doesn't solve the initial problem and it relies again on the old brain, not the new brain. And, and I think the third weighing one is that, rewards, weighing rewards yes. is also another thing. It's like, okay, sorry, I'll, I'll let you keep going. We'll talk about that. Um, and then the final one, as far as like not as successful uh, willpower habits, or excuse me, um, habit change uh, ideas go, is the idea of controlling your environment. And that's just simply put because you can't always control your environment. You can set up your home if you want to just be this place of there's no junk food. It promotes a healthy sitting environment, right? It, it promotes optimal sleep, all this great stuff. But the bottom line is you're not in your home all the time. So if the only time you can resist bad foods is when you're at home, well, you're kind of like, you're, you're shit out of luck there, right? Like nothing's gonna... And your phone's in your pocket. It can get you food yeah. in 10 seconds. So like there's, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so you, so you really lose a lot there. And again, it's all old brain based, but awareness and mindfulness is what allows us to have new brain and old brain together. Because when someone pays attention in the present moment, um, non-judgmentally and leads with curiosity, well, curiosity, cause it's a, it's a joyful feeling, right? Satisfies kind of the, uh, older part of the brain, which allows the logical part, the newer part of the brain to kind of be freed up to then utilize things like assessment and willpower and things like that. And um, ultimately what happens is we can think of the rewards we have from essentially this like operant conditioning as um, on a hierarchy. And then you can essentially work down, in this case, let's stick with food. You can work down um, the unhealthy food lower on the hierarchy and then work up the other food. And I think what's really important here is you're also not just like trying to resist the thing. It's kind of like, hey, if you turn away and try and resist the bad food, well, it's going to have even a stronger pull on you. But if you face it and you pay attention to what eating it is like, pay attention to how you feel during it, and even like what it felt like to actually have the craving before you ate it. Um, And again, connecting with your body, identifying 
what were the, what were the thoughts I had associated with wanting to eat the food? What did the craving actually feel like in my body? I know for me, if I crave something, I'm kind of like restless and it feels like I just have a, uh, a pull to the thing that I want to eat. Like I want to physically go to it. And it's like yeah. a restlessness in that sense. And the more you resist it, the harder it's like, don't think of a white polar bear, like that whole yeah, thing. Right? It's like, well, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Everyone just and, thought of a white polar bear. <laughs> exactly. And if you can pay attention, use mindfulness, right? Like still eat the bad thing, pay attention to what it's like during, pay attention to how you feel and the experience afterward. And then you might realize like, oh yeah, it totally, it tastes really good, but I feel kind of sleepy afterwards. I feel mentally like groggy. I don't physically feel good. My stomach kind of hurts. I feel a little bit like inflamed and swollen. Well, then all of a sudden you've just moved down the sweet thing a little bit and moved down the right. sweet thing a little bit. And then eventually it's going to move below. Yeah. And then if you're paying attention to how good the healthy food makes you feel, there's going to be, um, when I've been explaining it to people, I, I say it's like a knowledge to wisdom transfer where like all of a sudden it's going to be like, oh, now I understand. And I, and it's like, if I can still eat that thing, but it's not this, it's just not the same experience. That's how I would describe right. it. And again, that's why I get, that's why anyone that's attempting habit change, it has to be experiential. It can't just be all it's in my brain. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you have to pay attention to what your body feels like doing the thing and what the reward feels like uh, and is perceived to be. And that's the only way that you're really going to be able to successfully update it afterward. Yeah. And only you can change your habits, right? It, you can have the yeah. best people, you know, quote unquote, best or the most effective people around you to share their experience and, and help guide you. But at the end of the day, there is still effort involved. There is still time that you need to sort of get reacquainted with yourself and gain some self-awareness to actually do these things. And I think one thing that I think well, when, when, when it comes to like, okay, and back to the environment, it's like it, it requires the importance of engineering your environment requires you to have an understanding of the trigger. So if your trigger um, to eating a donut is seeing a donut, well, not seeing donuts is probably going to resolve that trigger. But if you think the trigger is seeing donuts, you get rid of the donuts. But in fact, the trigger is actually, well, I feel miserable because I have moved all day. Then, mm -hmm. then the environment is no longer, a, changing the environment is no longer a solution because you haven't actually gotten rid of the right trigger. And I think right. one thing that can sort of like, almost even the playing field so that you're not at a disadvantage is have your fundamental needs met um, yeah. even before you dive into habits, because it, I've spoken to some people and it's shocking how much of a decreased pull these behaviors or habits that don't align with their aspirations have once they have their basic needs met, once they're sleeping, uh, have quality sleep every night, once they realize that I need to get out and move or else I feel like shit. And I haven't realized that not moving like previously, I didn't know that not moving all day is what made me feel miserable and made me gravitate towards like reduce my ability to fight these behaviors that are just sort of on autopilot. So I think getting our fundamental needs met in terms of movement, in terms of nutrition, like actually eat nutrients, don't just eat food, eat nutrients um, mm -hmm. and, you know, have a certain level of social contact prioritize in your life like even if you can't interact with a bunch of people in public pick the people who you can interact with your family close friends whatever it might be and get yeah. as close to the gold standard of of interacting in person with another human as you can if you can't then the next best thing is what we're doing like a zoom conversation where you can see yep. people's face you might not be able to see them in person but i think that there's something to be said with if you get your basic needs met you level the playing field to make any changes you want to make after easier to make because you know that the underlying deep layer of need is not um, part of the trigger. 
the whole part or even just a subcomponent of the trigger. Um, so yeah, I think habit change is not, it's, it's really just a, if we treat it superficially, it's a, it, the, all the problems are really hard to solve. If you treat it as like a journey to, of self-discovery to figure out, like, you know, I always tell people the, the thing I love doing most is figuring myself out and I haven't yeah. done it yet. And I'm never going to fully figure myself out, but the journey of constantly figuring yourself out, why you do the things you do, why you behave the way you behave, why you think the way you think, like those are, those are some deep, that's some deep shit to try and dig yeah. into. It takes time to figure it out. Um, and so, yeah, I think getting fundamental needs met is a huge step. Um, and even like changing how society is designed so that we are facilitating getting our fundamental needs met, right? Like allowing kids to move in school, mm -hmm. uh, having a workplace where movement is the baseline and sedentary behavior is actually like hard to do so that you incentivize and you nudge people towards that side. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's a big element to changing habits is because it gets rid of like this big thing that's sitting there that most people aren't engaging with or realizing um that can be a cause for stubborn habits yeah and it's it's like if you if you have such an intense like um like dogma towards like wanting to keep this thing the same and not let anything else happen then it ends up being such a problem to be able to change it like you mentioned kids being able to play in school well it's like um you want to have the kids play because the reward from it we know is so good and instead it's like well no that's the dogma of they need more homework they need to get ahead again mm -hmm. based on like culturally what we think is the most important and so it's like well no they need more homework time they need more study time they need to sit in these desks sit in these rows listen <laughs> to the these damn one rules? person that's talking <laughs> to them right obey with what i'm saying do exactly everything i'm talking about and then it's like well well, there's a, there's a dogma behind that because you think that that is the absolute best way to do it. And anyone that challenges you, like you said, is challenging your identity. It's like, right. well, no, we're not challenging your identity. And that's where it's like, you have to, re you have to remain open-minded when you're attempting to change um, these habits, right? Because like you said, someone might tell you something that kind of stings a little bit. And part of it is investigate that, right? Like be curious, why did that feel that way? Because I think habit. a lot of people investigation yeah. of that is a habit versus reacting to it can also be a habit. Mm -hmm. So it's like even the, a layer deeper is like awareness, self-awareness. Why do you do the yeah. things you do? Do you even realize the things you're doing that you might not know? Yeah. And I think what can even play into that a little bit, and this might be a little bit of like a small side tangent, but like uh, Mavlov's hierarchy of needs, because we're talking about needs. Um, well, it's like, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to assess what your habits are like and stuff like that if you know, where you live, you might have the chance of like dying every day, right? Like that's going to be, right. or you're like, you don't have access to, to food really at all. And it's kind of like, well, I don't know where my next meal is coming from today. So there is a little bit of like, maybe like privilege in being able to pay attention and think about what we want to solve. Mm -hmm. um, but I really like how um, Scott Barry Kaufman breaks down um, Mavlov's hierarchy because it's actually, um, Maslow, I, I only Maslow. found this Maslow. Maslow is <laughs> I think um, you read it Ma Maslow and Pavlov, which is okay. <laughs> yeah, mixing it up. Um, so it's interesting because uh, it's actually not a pyramid, or and it was like never actually drawn by him as a pyramid. Right. Um, but I like how Scott Barry Kaufman broke it down, which is as a sailboat. Um, and we're still going to hear it, but it's like the base of the sailboat is going to be essentially your security, which is your safety, your connection, and your self-esteem. And this relates to like, hey, all humans are social creatures and have the ability to be logical. And so if you have that safety, if you have that connection with others and you're able to build that sense of self-esteem, 
Well, that's going to give you a really solid foundation to then be able to like explore, to love and to have that sense of uh, purpose where we have a little bit more of that exploration. And it's not always going to be something that is like set in stone. It's not like, oh, you know, hey, my uh, the base of my boat's built, so I'm good and I don't have to think about that anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's still something to consider where, yeah, maybe you might need to address like some like safety concerns that you have or the lack of connection that you have with people or how you might have a little bit of an issue with your self-esteem. Like those are also kind of like habits that end up getting to developed. Um, and the complexity behind it can be, I think, really intense. But it's like, if you have the habit of not connecting with people, well, then it's like, well, why, why is that a thing? Like attempting mm -hmm. to figure out why that is a thing. So you can build the base of that sailboat. So you can build then the sails to then help you find these different, like, sense of purpose where you're going through, you're figuring out the why behind a lot of things. I think setting values can even help with that. I don't think a lot of people really deeply know their values or they'll have like right. logical errors in their values where, you know, they're like, you know, everything's A plus B. And it's like, well, not everything's, you know, super binary and is like this or this and nothing else. Um, but I think setting that up can be a really good way to change um, our habits in that sense. Yeah. And I think when you know what matters and you, you're, you're like strong, you have a good anchor with your values. It makes mm -hmm. it a lot easier to determine whether your current calibration of rewards is actually a reflection of what, how you identify with wanting to live. Right. If you're not yeah. clear on those, it's really, you don't have a, you don't have a template to be able to sort of recalibrate. You don't have a tool to recalibrate the rewards and how important they are versus how they align with kind of what, who you want to be. And mm -hmm. I agree. I think fundamentally it's like, you need to know what matters to you and you need to be honest with yourself with what matters to you. Um, and you need to in, innately feel that that is true. And then after that, like you've already made a, once you decide what matters, that's a really hard one to do. I think for yeah. a lot of people, it's, like, it's not something that comes up in school. We don't really talk about values a whole lot. And when we do, it's a lot of it is more superficial. Um, but when you know that you've already answered a shitload of questions, you've done a huge amount of work that ports over into a lot of things. Number, you know, one of which is evaluating, the reward criteria, but um, yeah, I really like that metaphor of a sailboat. I bought, I heard Scott Barry Kaufman on, uh, on the waking up app and then I bought his book transcend. And it's, it's so funny how it's we good. just accepted Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a pyramid and he never drew a pyramid. It's just yeah. funny. I, I think like a marketing person drew that. And then that just, stuck. yeah, it was like a business thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how like basic assumptions are like, Oh yeah, Maslow drew a pyramid. It's like, well, actually he didn't. If you actually look at yeah. it. Um, but I agree. I think that, you know, we have to know what the basic needs are in order to evaluate whether we're meeting them or not. And mm -hmm. once again, it's like awareness. And I think, you know, that's a big reason why, I mean, the, the most difficult thing I've ever done and continue to do is try and create a, an app, a good app that is, um, you know, human centric and free of distraction and actually gives people a, a useful tool um, instead of creating something that's quote unquote free, um, where you, where the person is the product. But the I product, think that yeah. that's a big part of that because when people are seeking awareness, if you have to go through a jungle filled with booby traps to get something to improve your awareness, a lot of people are not going to make it right. Like if yeah. you have to go into YouTube to learn number one, where do you start? Number two, there's shit getting thrown at you left, right, and center to try and steer you away and pull you away. Yep. Um, from what you're trying to research. And I think the whole, um, the, the simple notion of creating a platform that does not have any of those booby traps. So that's as easy as, it's not a sexy, like bright thing that's going to give you novelty, but it's going to give you yep. 
time well spent where, okay, instead of having to talk to you, I can just look up the content that you deem was really good and you upload it into the app. And then I can just check that stuff out without worrying about being distracted. So I think, I think it's just like, how do we facilitate the path to awareness? I think is like this deep layer question that relates to mm-hmm. habits or health or behavior in general. And I think it's, you know, number one, people have to value that self-awareness is important. Uh, they have to identify as someone who wants to seek self-awareness through sort of this like curious um, mindset. And then number two, it's how do we facilitate improved awareness uh, and remove the current obstacles to that? Um, and then number three is how do we provide people support when they have questions uh, about struggles? And I think, um, you know, I think those things can be done at a very simple level. It's, you know, simple, not easy. Um, but yeah. I think that, you know, health is really, health really boils down to habits and, and being able to identify, you know, and the word habit only apply, like, do you, I identify a habit as something that I do repeatedly, but I've kind of dropped the part of the definition, which is that it's unconscious without you realizing it. Cause I think once you realize you're doing a habit, it's no longer a textbook habit, which is, you know, you're not aware you're doing it. And so it, all of a sudden it becomes a conscious behavior that has been ingrained. It's no longer an autopilot. Um, program. And, you know, that's the first step. And I think a lot of people innately know the things they do um, without really realizing it. Right. And they just have, they just have to have a willingness to investigate a little bit deeper. It's like people know when they crush like a pizza and feel like shit, they're like, Oh, why did I do that again? And it's like, the energy you spend on beating yourself up or doing something you didn't want to do, but felt powerless to stop doing. If you devote that energy, just being like, yeah, I did that. And I got to figure out what made me want to do that and how can I, you know, maybe eat half a pizza next time. And yeah. <laughs> the time I would have spent eating the other half, maybe I'll think of like, what made me want to eat the pizza? Um, because I, I claim by no means any immunity from these things, but I think, you know, leaning into the self-reflection and figuring things out becomes a reward that then comes up as a trigger next time you start to like slide into an old, an old habit. Um, yeah. So it's, we're essentially talking about making investigation and curiosity and introspection a reward that you repeatedly do, Yes. you know, over and over again, and then you have to be in the present for it. And if someone wants to make this habit change, right, all of it comes down to they have to be in the present moment. If you're not, a, you can't be aware if you're not in the present moment, right? And um, I think that if I was to say just like a couple things, like someone could try uh, especially like as people are going through, like, for example, in the foot nerd program, like the mindfulness pieces, paying attention to your breath really helps, right? It connects you to the moment. It's constantly going on, even if you're not paying attention to it. So paying attention to how your breathing can help. I also really like trying to feel your heartbeat mm. from like the inside of your body. Like, are you aware, like, and it was difficult for me at first, but I've gotten better. But like, if I pay attention, it's just like an intuitive sense of like, oh, I can tell when my heart is beating. And then if I go check, I'm like, Oh, that's crazy. It actually is beating on that exact, like, like that's rhythm cool. that I was just like tapping to. So, and again, it, it forces you into the present moment. I think a lot of people do body scans. I think that's helpful where it's like, Hey, be aware of your feet from your feet, be aware of your hands from your hands. Like, what does it feel like um, to like feel your hands, feel your arms. And then you can kind of like go across the whole body. But you're again paying attention to the present moment non-judgmentally with curiosity. You're paying attention to the felt experience. And then that can actually give you the um the ability to then use tools to change whatever your habit may be. But 
well, like going with the pizza example, well, if I have no idea that what it's like to eat the pizza, what my decision process was like to come up and eat the pizza, or, or I think a lot of people probably wouldn't even be able to say what the final piece of pizza tasted like, right? They were just like, I, I just shoved it in my the mouth doctor. and I ate it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I breathed it um, in. <laughs> right? And it's like, well, how are you ever going to change that? Because for that person, the experience was it initially tasted really good, if I even remember that. And then I felt really bad afterwards, but mm. like my brain was like, mm, this tastes really good. So I got to eat more of it. And, you know, or maybe I was like sad beforehand and then I recognized I was sad. So then I ate it and like, oh, okay, maybe sometimes I see a pattern because again, constantly prediction making um, and pattern assessment. Like maybe I realize, oh, when I feel really bad, like emotionally, maybe I eat a bunch of like bad food and that kind of like sometimes makes me feel a little bit better. It's like, okay, well, now I can start to address certain like emotional eating pieces or, um, you know, I get home and I, going back to the email example, I hop on, I do a bunch of emails and I feel productive, but could you have been more productive at a different time? What if you slept better and then woke up early, did a morning routine and then got into your emails? Like, would you have maybe responded better? Would you have gotten through them faster? And you don't know again until like this idea of exploration, you don't know until you try it. And again, but like you said, awareness has to be that foundational piece um, that happens to actually be able to produce a habit change. Yeah. And I think just like being understanding of yourself that like, mm -hmm. you're just a human doing the best you can. And if yeah. you, you know, like I've had this experience where I started to just treat myself like a six-year-old. It's like, I wouldn't get mad at a six-year-old for doing something that they know they are powerless to not do, but I would, you know, probably give them hints at like thinking through that behavior. So every time I maybe do a habit that is still installed, that doesn't align with, with my health aspirations, I just try and get one extra hint from each time I do it. And at mm -hmm. a certain point you read a threshold, you reach a threshold where like all these hints accumulate to enough understanding that you're like, yeah, I don't need to do that anymore. I understand why I'm doing it. I understand why I'm seeking that reward or what the precursor is that triggers it. And then you're like, yeah, I know how to fix that. And it's like, you need to just be patient also where you're not going to drop every misaligned habit in yeah. one day. Um, you should probably just, you know, even start with one, uh, maybe the one that gives you the most internal struggle where it's like, ah, I keep doing this. I, I know this is not what I want to be doing. Um, and I think it's like getting rid of the need to, or should have, and just being like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to work at this. Uh, Cause I want to, I think it's important enough. I think my health is important enough that it deserves the effort to to strive to figure this out, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like, we are we are so hard on ourselves, um, at least I know I am, and a lot of people I speak to share the same story, that that um, sort of like blindfolds us to actually figuring it out because we're too busy just talking shit to ourselves. Um, yeah. And I think had a little bit of pause and showed a little bit of patience to treat ourselves like a six-year-old, like you're, you're just a six-year-old little animal trying to figure out the world. Um, if you're older, you just have more baggage attached and more have had more time to accumulate software and patterns that maybe you weren't even aware of and figuring that out. Like it can be, you know, once you start to get a strategy to figure these things out, it's almost like drinking water out of a fire hose. You're like, Oh shit, all these things are happening. And now I kind of yeah. know I should. <laughs> so you just have to like, okay, I'm going to start with this one. And I love taking the pillars of health, explaining them to people and saying, okay, well, which pillar do you think needs the most love right now? Cause let's just focus on one. And then let's pick yeah. one sub behavior that you think could enhance your aspiration mm -hmm. to be better at that pillar. And let's pick one that's bringing you further away from where you want to be with that pillar. Let's just work on those two. 
And guess what? If you're really frustrated or that one's too much to bite off first, yep. let's pick an easier one. And at a certain point, you pick one that people feel motivated to change, feel they're able to change, and is within their ability at this present moment. And then once that one's fixed, they're like, oh, shit, we fixed that one. Like, yeah. or I fixed that one. And then mm -hmm. it's like, well, okay, let's take the next one. And then you end up using a guide to help you understand and pick and choose the right ones, not fix them for you, but help guide you to where you should direct your efforts. Because if you try and direct it towards everything, it seems hopeless. Um, and if you direct it towards the wrong one, you might not see results. Or if you take the wrong strategy, you might blame yourself. But I think the whole element of having someone that's non-judgmentally going to help you be playful with figuring yourself out, that is, yep. I think, the modern health professional and, and how they, how they you know, we, like tear off all labels and just think like, how do you help people understand themselves and guide them non-judgmentally to changing behavior? That is the essence of a health professional. And that is so counter to anything taught in school um, that that's where I think the Footner program comes into play is like, let's co-create a way for us to all learn and understand these things and how to get good at explaining it to others in a, in a way that's, you know, empathic and understanding that like we struggle the shitload. You are going to yeah. struggle. The struggle is actually part of it and is an important component of learning and growing and, and, you know, embarking on the process of health that never ends, but you just need to engage with it. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's like the, the foot nerd program helps people be active instead of passive in what they're doing. All, yeah. all of these um, examples that you just went through, everyone was actively doing something and they were the subject of like, like doing that action. So instead of it being this thing happened to me, it was I did this thing. Yes. And I think that that's like a huge difference in how people approach problems. And that's why the, the Footner program is so good because it helps people take that action that they probably were maybe in at least some areas in more of a reactive passive state where like this was happening to me. This was like, this was the result of the food that, you know, I was eating or the, or the um, way that my lifestyle was. But again, it was all, even though the person's obviously like moving their body, it was all in a passive sense where everything was happening to them. Their environment was happening to them. Mm -hmm. The result of food was happening to them. And, and instead now it's no, you're the one taking action because you're the one that's assessing what's happening, trying to predict what's happening, trying to make changes for what's happening. And that, that, idea of taking action will completely change, I think, a person's life, especially um, on, a, on a broad scale. And then the smaller components of that would be their habits. Yeah. And even just let's, I mean, it's probably late to dive into something this juicy, but I think we'll, let's just touch on it. This whole, I think the whole notion of victim mentality um, mm. is, yeah. is a very oversimplified way of talking about that thing. Uh, because I think a lot of people see it as binary. It's like, well, if you yeah. say get out of a victim mentality, they interpret that as you're negating any struggles that I'm facing. And the fact that I probably face more struggles than you or the yeah. average person. And it doesn't negate that. And I think all it does is, is, you know, trying to take an active approach to changing things does not disacknowledge the fact that things happen to you perhaps that are very unfortunate and put you at a bigger disadvantage to making progress. All it's doing is focusing on the fact that you need to focus on making progress, right? Yep. Like it sucks that like ideally no one's starting in a deeper hole than anyone else, but reality is such that sometimes people do. Um, and also people that have been extremely, let's call it victimized or, or at a big disadvantage. Some of those people are, are very happy. So, you know, there, mm -hmm. ne there needs to be some context given to the fact that, okay, 
things happen to people that are unfortunate and that sucks and we should work towards not having those things happen to people. But also it's like, regardless of what you've done or what's been done to you, we need to start in this very second, get present and figure out how do I fix these things so that I can enjoy my life. And so this whole thing of like victim mindset doesn't disacknowledge that there are victims, but it also acknowledges that if you get stuck in that, and find convenience in sort of going through the loop of this happened to me, I'm a victim, this sucks, this happened to me. Like if you're stuck there, it can be really uncomfortable when someone says, yeah, but you can actually improve that. Um, and, and you know, it's one of those things where that can, be a, that can be either a trigger. When someone says, okay, those circumstances suck, but you can change it, that can be a trigger for you to say, yeah, but you didn't have those circumstances or you're privileged or you're yeah. this and you're that. Or it can be a trigger to say like, you know what, you're right, can you help me? And like, that's a big mindset shift. What, what are your thoughts when people say victim mindset or what, what comes to mind? Because I think it's, it seems to be like a red tape thing yep. that people are scared to talk about, but by not talking about it, we're just making it, we're making it bigger and bigger and bigger and less likely yep. to go touch the elephant. Yeah, it definitely seems kind of like in general, there's for sure like a cancel culture a little bit around talking about people being like a victim mindset and stuff like that. But um, the way that I like to think about it is, for sure, people people have different triggers depending on what the victim mindset is being talked about. Um, and like you said, no one, right, being super realistic, the reality of it, not everyone starts out on the same playing field. Plenty of people have way more significant disadvantages than others. Plenty of people have way more um, advantages than other people's. A lot of people have just, you know, a negative stroke of luck, their environment, where they were born, the genetics they were given. Right. So it's for sure, not always even, not always fair, but that doesn't mean victim mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where some of the people are like, Hey, all those things happen to me. I'm the victim of it. Uh, and I kind of like how the Stoics kind of break it down a little bit where it's kind of like, don't wish for something to be different, wish for things to be as they are, because mm -hmm. then that, is the thing that opens the door to you actually taking action and what you want to do. Right. So an example of that might be, uh, and I like to think about it this way, because I think that when people specifically going with food, when people weigh and measure food, when people follow certain diets, it's very much a, in my opinion, like a victim-based mindset where it's, I'm a victim of my modern environment and what I've eaten um, or, or like the way that things are like made, like I have no control over it. Um, when in reality, it's like, well, no, you're, again, because I said this earlier, your body is constantly looking for patterns, making predictions, making assessments, even with the food you eat, right? Like if you pick up something and you eat it, like your brain is not just going to be like, okay, well, it gets ingested. And then I digest like whatever the uh, macronutrients are. And then I utilize it for energy or I store it. And then it goes through my, um, you know, uh, digestion. And then, okay, that's like, it's all happening to me, but it's like, no, your body's making a prediction for like, okay, what's digestion going to be like? How much insulin should I release? Like your body's already doing so many things because it's trying to take action in the world. And so while the body's doing that, we just need the mind to do that. And that's kind of like the mindset piece behind it. So um, when someone is eating, it's like, no, I'm like doing these things. I'm taking action to eat this way because I know how it'll make me feel. And um, I guess other ways that that would apply is just going to be when someone has that victim mindset, it prevents them from taking action. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind of like the overarching way that I look at it. And it, it does 
steam to be more intense in um in certain situations like things that could be uh either like racial injustices or um like uh the way that like policies are set up to like uh suppress people or different things like that and it's for sure is creating right a situation of more beneficial for some more disadvantaged for others and that can create imbalances that for sure make it unfair like it's not i think that when people say well you're you don't have as many disadvantages as me you're you haven't had the same circumstances it's almost like they're saying you you don't understand or you're discrediting what i'm saying and it's like no i'm not discrediting what mm -hmm. you're saying what i'm saying is all of those things are true but you can still take action and then right. obviously the beneficial thing from there would be the person saying you can still take action is also how can I help with action? Like, how can right. I help you? Because again, we're social creatures. It's all about connection and community. So instead of being then, because then that, that gives the person on the other end, like, hey, are they going to be passive? If I'm telling someone like, no, you need to be active. Well, it's like, well, I should also be active with you and help with right. you if it's a place that can actually apply like that thing of like, yes, I'm going to be active with you if that's applicable in whatever setting like it's thrown into. Yeah, and it's so easy for, I, I think, because um, I've probably, I can I can say with, I definitely, I've adopted a, a victim mindset in certain areas of my life at certain times. And the challenge is figuring out like, why am I adopting that mindset? And I think it's easy to seek for ways to confirm that your mindset is correct. Like for example, we're having this conversation. Someone can listen to this and say, "Oh, you're two privileged white males. You have no, you have no um, reason, or or you have you shouldn't be talking about this because you're privileged white males." It's like, well, are you saying that to confirm the fact that you're really like, are you looking to confirm your current mindset? And I think it's one of these things where it's just like rigidity of thinking and the convenience of reinforcing your your mindset versus the challenge. Um, and the work needed to expand your mindset and like see, okay, well, maybe there's something there. Um, so anyway, maybe, like that's a that's a juicy topic. Probably wasn't a good time to bring it up, but that's a rabbit hole for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So getting back to habits to kind of close things out, I think uh, your health is really all about uh, improving health is all about behavior change. And mm -hmm. behavior change requires you to understand some of the behaviors that you might be doing that are on autopilot, which is probably many more than what we think. Um, and desiring to seek self-awareness in a playful non-judgmental non way to figure out why am I doing these things? Um, how can I start to do things I want to do that I'm having difficulty doing? And I think that that, that baseline starting with awareness and you know just having a, a basic understanding of the pillars of health and making sure that all those fundamental needs are met so that you're starting at at, at, at least not a disadvantage to figuring these things out. Um, and then also knowing that there's resources out there that can help you figure things out, whether that's a uh, content resource that you can go in and learn without getting distracted um, mm -hmm. or people that you can refer to. Like the foot nerds are all pretty cool humans. Like we, we seem to self-select people that are radically open-minded, that are engaged with their health process and find a deep purpose helping others. That's like literally that's in our manifesto, which is the selecting criteria for who joins. So, yeah. you know, the goal is how do we scale, how do we present a good on-ramp to people wanting and open-minded and seeking awareness? How do we um, connect those who are, are willing to help and have done a good amount of work to, in, in terms of self-awareness to connect with others who need the help? Um, and I think those fundamental problems and solving them at scale is really a powerful element of solving the health problem. And, um, and all you got to do is just be willing. 
right? Like be willing yeah. to, to seek what you may not already know or to see the things, to see things as they are instead of as you're currently viewing them. Because, you know, even back to that victim thing, it's like, if you're, if you feel you're a victim or you feel you're in control of your life, either decision, you're right. Because you create the reality that you, that you, that you think. Yeah. And so it's like, there is an element of choice, not saying there's no resistance for some people, but there is an element of choice. And fundamentally, it might hurt to really um, acknowledge that. I know it's hurt me several times in my life where I'm like, oh, it's really uncomfortable to know that I can control that. And I've just admitted that I was in no control. So it was okay for that to happen. Um, yeah. But it's just like, we're all figuring it out. So. Yeah. Cool. And that's a great sum up. Thanks for the great chat, Mitch. It's always a pleasure. I think this was a, um, you know, like even just like spending time thinking about what we were going to talk about today and sort of uh, what, what points I can bring up that might be valuable was a really good exercise to reinforce that like, wow, habits are habits run our lives. And that can be either in a direction that brings us towards what we want to be or away from what we want to be. And a lot of it fundamentally is just self-awareness and understanding why you do the things you do. And uh, thank you for the chat, folks listening. We hope that that was helpful and we'll catch you next week.